Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, good friends. Welcome back to the Bill Press Pod. And at the end of a very busy news week, welcome to this week's Reporters Roundtable. Well, history was made yesterday in Congress, where the January 6th Select Committee wrapped up its investigation by issuing a subpoena to former President Donald Trump, even though uh, they're pretty sure he'll never testify. History was also made at the Supreme Court yesterday, where the court unanimously rebuffed Donald Trump's plea to intervene in his battle with the National Archives and the Justice Department over boxes of documents he took with him to Mar-a-Lago. And in one further rebuff to Trump, former Speaker Paul Ryan predicted that Trump would no longer be politically palatable by 2024, and for sure he will not be the GOP nominee for president. President Biden, meanwhile, remember him? (laughs) Dismissed concerns about turning 80 next month Look at what I've accomplished, not at how old I am, Biden told CNN's Jake Tapper. Well, here today to make some sense of all of that and more, Philip Bump, national national columnist for The Washington Post. Hello, Philip. Good morning, sir. David Jackson, national political correspondent for USA Today. Hello, David. Hey, Bill. How you doing? And Sudeep Reddy, senior managing editor for Politico. I am offering this resolution that the committee direct the chairman to issue a subpoena for relevant documents and testimony under oath from Donald John Trump in connection with the January 6th attack on the United States Capitol. There, the big surprise at the end of the hearing. So, David, uh, how soon before the former president testifies? (laughs) How about never? Yeah. (laughs) How does that work for you? No, I, no, it was uh, open bet on. One thing I thought when this happened was that Trump might say something to the effect, "Well, I'll consider you know testifying," sort of like Pence did a couple of weeks ago. I thought mm-hmm. Trump might try to string us along by offering, you know, suggesting that it's possibly he might testify. But no, not even that. He just belittled the, the committee, and it's it's not going to be difficult for his lawyers to uh, to appeal and make legal challenges to the subpoena and. The committee only has really only has two more two and a half more months to live. So uh, I would not count on seeing Donald J. Trump testifying before the January 6th committee. So, Philip, why would the committee uh, end the hearing with this gesture, knowing uh, it would not result in testimony? Well, I think there are probably two reasons. The first is that the the committee hearings, while obviously uh, sitting on top of an actual investigatory process that has been pretty comprehensive. The hearings have been 
intended in large part for public consumption. So they were building to something all along. They mm-hmm. were building to something and building to making this case. And I think they just wanted to have a gesture that showed they that, that was sort of them banging the gavel and saying the case has been made and, and here we are. Uh, so I think that's it. I mean, they didn't have to have this vote in public. You know, they subpoenaed lots of people without doing these sorts of right. uh, showy votes. Uh, so I think that's that's really the trigger for it. Um, but to 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 make clear to people that they have reached the end of this stage of things, uh, obviously reading the handwriting on the wall about what's what's looming in November. Yeah, and Sadiq, I think it's. <sighs> I know maybe showing some bias on my part, but I think it's almost impossible for anybody to have watched these hearings and not come to the conclusion that Donald fa- Donald Trump, in fact, was the central player in the events of January 6th. I think they made their case. The question is, did it, will it have any long-lasting impact? Did it move the needle of public opinion? That uh, is is really the the question for 2023 and 2024 when we get into this. I think it is remarkable how uh, the committee was able to kind of put a a bow on this entire uh, series of proceedings by uh, by wrapping it up, by by creating the final narrative that this was this was not just a a happenstance event uh, from from a crowd. This was Donald Trump uh, in, in the committee's view, orchestrating this from the start, a a uh, a plan premeditated. Uh, attempt to uh, overturn the election results, and and that is the narrative that I think they they put out there for a reason to last into the next two years and beyond for the sake of history. And there were so many uh, so many uh, scenes that came up in in this final day of hearings that uh, I think will remain seared in my memory. Just watching Nancy Pelosi mm. uh, make these these frantic calls, uh, actually fearing for life uh, of others in the Capitol, seeing her and Chuck Schumer. Uh, kind of berating the acting attorney general, the acting defense secretary, all sorts of other officials telling them to act like this was their own institution being attacked. And so um, all of those will, will I think, uh, stand the test of time uh, through history, if nothing else. But I, I think it does create a, a lasting impact for Trump there. Yeah, David, ahead of the hearing, some people were saying, well, there won't be anything really new, right? They're just going to kind of wrap everything up. But uh, I think Sadiq touched on something. That video uh, of of Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi on the phone with Mike Pence and Bill Barr and the defense secretary, that was pretty extraordinary. An amazing piece of history. And and also filmed by Alexandra Pelosi. Yes, right. The speaker's daughter and is a documentary filmmaker and I believe is doing a film on all of this, which uh, I I am eagerly looking forward to seeing. You know, she did did the famous documentary on the George W. Bush 2000. Right. Mm-hmm. Campaign journeys with George, so, in which I make a cameo, I might add. Uh, but uh, <laughs> no, it, it's it was extraordinary. And, you know, it, you could argue that the committee didn't produce anything new, but what they did produce was a narrative to show that Trump was involved in a lot of this, and Trump's actions did, in fact, lead to January sixth. And it's a very serious question as to whether he's legally culpable for that. Uh, and Philip, I thought the other thing new that that we learned yesterday was. The Secret Service knew of the serious threat of arms at the Capitol and the serious threat facing Mike Pence up to a week before January 6th and basically did nothing. Yeah, this is one of the – there are, I think, by now, multiple law enforcement organizations that had received warnings of some sort – in the days and weeks prior to the Capitol riot, which suggested what was going to happen. I mean, I think, you know, 
I, I as an outside observer, was very keenly aware on January 6th that, that, that there, was, there was something brewing. I think a lot of people who track this stuff closely were. I don't think that's surprising. I mean, I think that what was fascinating, you know, one of the things that, that really stood out, and I think we're going to hear a lot more about from yesterday, was the extent to which the members of the committee, although somewhat obliquely, made reference to the fact that the Secret Service had misrepresented things or withheld information from them, uh, or members yeah. of the Secret Service had done so. Uh, I think that's, you know, extremely significant <laughs> for a lot of reasons. I think that, you know, when we talk about the effects of, of the committee, you know, what what was it they accomplished? What was it they didn't? I think that that is going to be something that potentially has long-term ramifications. Uh, and I think also reflects uh, that there is this 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 vibe within this, the Secret Service that I think was problematic, you know, and that, that was sort of, you know, we've Carolina get the Washington Post done a lot of great reporting on the Secret Service. I think she's been keenly aware of this for some time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think elevating that and the, the hearing, which the hearing yesterday did, I think that is going to have long term repercussions as well. Sadeep, is this the end of the road or will we see any criminal referrals from the committee to the Justice Department? We, we, uh, certainly should prepare for that. That seems like the, the natural course of, of where this was going. What happens next, I think, depends uh, on what happens in a few weeks with the midterm elections. Is this the, is this the, the end? Is this the re- reversal where the, mm. the uh, congressional leadership, mm-hmm. and at least the, the House, has to turn on uh, uh, away from Donald Trump and focus on Hunter Biden or whatever the Republicans want to focus on? Um, that's, that is, I think, the, the defining uh, question of the election is who who should be stewarding that uh, that process and that debate in Congress. Yeah, I couldn't tell um, from uh, Sudeep listening to Liz Cheney whether they had decided against criminal fer- referrals or that was still to be considered for for Trump and others. You know. We, of course, know that uh, that the attorney general is, is has this question high on his mind of how yeah. to handle Donald Trump and, and what he's done here. And so... Um, whether it comes out of Liz Cheney's mouth or not, it is an active uh, issue and something that I, I think we will probably get some sense of resolution on uh, by the end of the year. In other words, that Mary Garland is not depending on a criminal referral from the committee, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, right. Uh, meanwhile, while <laughs> while the hearing was still going on, uh, the Supreme Court dropped another bombshell unanimously denying Donald Trump's motion to intervene in his little scuffle with uh, DOJ and the archives over the documents. Um, How big a setback is this, David? Uh, Technically, it's a big setback for the president, but he never really had a chance for the Supreme Court to get involved in this. And I think it's important to remember that all of these legal moves, especially on the documents case, are really, it's not a you know, it's 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 uh, just an effort to delay things. It's just a, mm-hmm. a delay tactic, uh, throw up some dust and try to confuse people. That's been Trump's M.O. for all the legal problems he's had throughout his business career and his political career. So it's really kind of meaningless. Now, I have to add that in this particular case, this special master business, one of the things Trump's lawyers are trying to do is to try to find out what kind of documents the Justice Department has and what the Justice Department thinks they have on Trump. So this was part of that effort to try to find that out, and they weren't very successful on that either. Yeah. Uh, were you surprised, Philip, that there weren't any, I mean, this, you know, Donald Trump appointed three members of this court, and he certainly got allies in Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito, and occasionally with John Roberts. Were you surprised that there was not even one dissenting vote? 
Somewhat, you know, I mean, look, I, this is my, my area of expertise is not sort of parsing the, the, the thought bubbles of the Supreme Court justices, right? Yeah. It remains it remains so somewhat inscrutable to me. Uh, you know, I think that we do tend to some extent to overstate the extent to which clearly partisan actors on the Supreme Court are going to act in clearly partisan ways. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I also think that this is a this is both fairly low level and fairly straightforward. I mean, this is the yeah. The, the the legal machinations here have been pretty robustly thrown out of court by everyone except Eileen Cannon in Florida. Um, and so from that standpoint, I guess I, I would say, no, it doesn't particularly surprise me. Yeah. So, so deep, also the Washington Post reporting in a related story, very closely related story, uh, that a, uh, a Trump aide from Mar-a-Lago has been cooperating with the FBI uh, and told them that, yeah, Donald Trump asked me to move some boxes from the storage room into his residence, um, which indicates that maybe the former president had more of a role in which documents and kept and where they were kept and what he was doing with them than maybe previously thought. Absolutely. And when you have when you have uh, have a cooperator like this, it, it means uh, first you can actually tie this back uh, to the former president and what he's done. Uh, but, but man, oh man, is there anything that would drive Donald Trump more crazy than knowing that he's got somebody on the inside, uh, uh, working against him with the federal government, trying to take him down. Um, that is just like the, the thing that, uh, we all know as a conspiracy minded president of somebody who always thought the world was against him. The government was, was trying to, to attack him. This is it. Like, this is the, the, the ultimate, uh, moment. Oh, yeah. But look at all. <laughs> uh, this guy is uh, this former valet from the White House that he took into Mar-a-Lago with him. I forgot the guy's name. He's not the first, right? Look at all the witnesses on the January 6th committee. So oh, many of abs- them. Absolutely. There, there are so many, but it just it, it, <laughs> it, when you can you can actually imagine the walls closing in uh, on the, the former president. And this is the kind of thing uh, that uh, that I think is actually a really important historic moment. Um, when you, when it's clear that there's somebody on the inside, we've always assumed that uh, leading into this, but uh, that I think it's important uh, reporting that will that will show uh, how it all came together. Uh, so, David, as if it wasn't a bad enough day for Donald Trump. Now we know that Paul Ryan was never a big Trumper, right? <laughs> but yesterday, uh, he really came out of the box and saying, "Nah, don't worry about Donald Trump in 2024. Nobody's going to." I'm paraphrasing, of course. Nobody's right. going to want him then, anyhow. Well, I, in a sense, he's right. I mean, Trump's Trump's political posture is going to be quite a bit different in the year than it is now, and it's it's hard for me to believe it's going to be improved because I just I just think a I just think a presidential candidate who's under indictment, perhaps under three indictments, is just going to have trouble attracting votes. I was struck, but I was also struck by the Ryan uh, comments because he's saying what a, a few other Republicans are saying in private. They don't want their names attached to it. But the feeling is that Trump will, in fact, be so damaged that it, it's going to be hard for him to attract a lot of votes. But by the time we get around to voting in early 2024, uh, my counter to that is, well, someone's actually got to make that case. And so far, no one in the Republican Party has been willing to stand uh, up and say, hey, you know, look at all these problems Trump has got. Do we really want to make him a presidential candidate? At some point, somebody's going to have to do that, or he'll, he'll basically be the nominee by default. So, I think there's, I think, I think Ryan has a point, but someone has to drive that point home. 
Right. Philip, uh, you know, you follow the national political scene as closely as anyone. We don't see any of the leading Republican candidates for governor or senator doing that, saying that today. No, that's exactly right. I mean, I, I, I would say at the outset that I would not necessarily trust Paul Ryan's judgment on what the base part of the Republican Party is. Right? <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, one of the things I thought was fascinating in the wake of the Mar-a-Lago uh, search by the FBI was Ron DeSantis very quickly came out with a statement that was sort of an enemy of your enemy statement where he, you know, obviously he is jockeying with Trump mm. uh, behind the scenes. Uh, but his statement mm. was not like, oh, gosh, you know, look at look at what's happening with this guy. It was instead the FBI again, you know, showing its partisanship. Right. Uh-huh. That was a moment it felt like, you know, obviously I understand it was it was very early to sort of make judgments on what was happening. But that was a moment when Ron DeSantis could have been like, OK, look, you know, let let's move on from this dude, right? Like he, he could have taken that position. Yeah. I still think DeSantis is the likeliest person to actually pick up that fight in part because he has real bona fides with the base that a lot of these other Republicans don't, which is the key, right? Like if you're going to go after Trump, you got to already have Trump's base on your side to at least some extent. That was the whole problem with the Republican establishment. When they went after Trump in 2016, the base had no, they had no credibility with the base. So they're like, you're nuts. Like, we're sticking to this guy. DeSantis has that credibility and not a lot of other Republicans do. He could engage in that fight. I expect that he probably will. Um, I, but the question still remains, is that actually going to be effective? Right. So, uh, by the way, there is still a president of the United States by the name of Joe Biden. Uh, He made some news this week, too. Let's take a quick break and then we'll come back uh, enough about the former president uh, and talk about what the, the current president was up to this week here on the Bill Press Pod. We'll be right back. And today's roundtable on the Bill Press Pod is brought to you by the American Federation of Teachers, 1.7 million strong good men and women teachers of America uh, all across the country, uh, offering classes of everything from the, everything from preschool, K through 12, to higher education, plus nurses and health professionals doing a great job all under the leadership of President Randy Weingarten. Uh, we salute the great teachers of America, thank them for doing the Lord's work every day, and thank them particularly for their support, a long-time support of the Bill Press Pod. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. 
That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And we're back with today's roundtable on today's panel. Sudeep Reddy, Senior Managing Editor for Politico. David Jackson, National Political Correspondent for USA Today. And Philip Bump, National Columnist for The Washington Post. A great group. Lots to talk about. President Biden sat down for a rare one-on-one interview with CNN's Jake Tapper. Uh, Jake pointed out to the president that you will be the first president ever to turn 80 while in office. What about that? Here, uh, President Biden's response. What's your message to Democrats who like you, who like what you've done, but are concerned about your age and the demands of the job? Well, they're concerned about whether or not I can get anything done. Look what I've gotten done. Name me a president in recent history that's gotten as much done as I have in the first two years. And so I just, it's, it's a matter of, can you do the job? And I believe I can do the job. I've been able to do the job. I've got more done. I got the inflation reduction. I got all these pieces of legislation passed. And I ran on that. I said this is what I was going to do. And I'm still getting it done. Sudeep, is that the right answer? He did get a lot of things done. There, that, that is true. That's, that is the only answer that you can deliver uh, is I am an effective president. That's what uh, he will, if he runs again, that's what he will have to run on. Uh, that's what all the Democrats are trying to run on right now. Uh, uh, on the party overall. And so if, if Biden can keep making that case, um, that is probably the only case that can overcome uh, his, uh, his uh, extreme level of gaffes uh, that he seems to be delivering the kind of the sense that he's, uh, he's stumbling here and there. He looks a little bit slower. Um, all of that can be overcome if you actually have outcomes. And so um, he's, he's making the case now uh, because he has to. Uh, but yet, Philip, uh, I don't think we're going to see any great big White House birthday party, right, to not, to mark the president's 80th birthday. No, Philip? that's exactly right. Yeah, um, yeah I, I think the White House has been uh, pretty deliberate in trying to downplay this uh, this, <laughs> this particular milestone. You know, part of that is the should White- it be an, should it be an issue? Well, I mean. I, Regardless of whether it should be an issue, it certainly is an issue for a lot of the Democratic Democratic Party's base, right? They want to get younger voters engaged. Younger mm-hmm. voters are overwhelmingly Democratic. They don't vote as much as older voters, which is a longstanding pattern in American history. Uh, but they need to get them engaged. And there's a lot of there's a lot of generational uh, frustration among younger voters, in particular, with how old Democratic leadership is. And so, if if nothing else. They don't necessarily want to draw attention to. I mean, look, <laughs> I've made this point before. Joe Biden is not only not a boomer; he is a silent generation. He's the only member of the silent generation ever <laughs> elected president. You know, well after the baby boomers, there's already been you know uh, uh, four baby boomer presidents, and now yeah. the silent generation president, Gen X, Gen Z, not even Gen X, millennials and Gen Z are saying, "Hey, look, man, when is it our turn?" Mm-hmm. The Democratic Party doesn't want to go out of its way to say, "Be like, hey, guess what? This very elderly gentleman is still your president, and let's all celebrate how old he is." Uh, that's not that's not what their base wants to hear going in November. Uh, but David, um, Donald Trump is seventy seven now, right? If he were to run in twenty twenty four, he would turn eighty right. while he's president. I don't hear Republicans expressing too much anguish about that. Oh no, not at all. It's not even an issue. And in fact, if Trump is nominated again, it's a 
that that'll help Biden with the age issue, I suspect. But I know that the people mm-hmm. in the White House are bracing for all these 80th birthday stories to come up. And there are Democrats <laughs> all over town, Bill, as you know, who are very concerned about this fact, which is the one thing yeah. really working against Biden at this point, from what I see. But the, the fear that I hear is that, say, Trump doesn't get the nomination and Ron DeSantis does. You'll have a guy in his 40s running against a guy in his 80s. And I don't mm. I don't know of any Democrat who wants that. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Uh, uh, Jay Tepper also asked the president about an issue that has come up in the last week or so. And that is the possibility, uh, maybe the probability that charges may be fired, filed against uh, by the federal uh, U.S. attorney in Delaware against Hunter Biden. Um, and this week, a an excerpt of a vid- audio of a telephone call from the president, who was then vice president, to his son was released, which Fox News uh, and conservative media made a great big deal of. This shows that Joe Biden is totally in bed with his son, with everything his son did wrong. Uh, Sudeep, let's listen to, this is the his father calling his son to express his concerns. Joe Biden. Dad, I called to tell you I love you. I love you more than the whole world, pal. I gotta get some help. I don't know what to do. I know you don't either. I'm here, no matter what you need. No matter what you need, I love you. Does that really reflect badly on Joe Biden, Sudeep? They found the smoking gun that Joe Biden loves his son. Yeah. Uh, there you go. <laughs> there you go. This this obviously uh, was presented as something that it is not. Uh, it, it, it truly, on the face of it, and in reality, shows what Joe Biden is trying to do with Hunter is to, to support him and take care of him. Uh, so he comes off as a, as a good parent, but it's all, it's all largely irrelevant. You can see the, just the, the wave of attention in, in conservative uh, media leading into to any Joe Biden story. And um, this will be the, the dominating uh, item on the top of Republicans minds going into 2023 of how do we investigate uh, how do we get Joe Biden by investigating Hunter and finding some other connection? It didn't really work before. I'm skeptical that it'll work uh, work now, but uh, that will at least be the focus of attention um, in in uh, in the coming cycle. Well, another interview this week might have a more uh, immediate impact on the American political scene, and that is an interview, the first interview that uh, Democratic Senate candidate. John Fetterman in Pennsylvania has given since he suffered a stroke last May. This was a sit-down interview with Dasha Burns, reporter for NBC, uh, in which, uh, here's a little clip where John Fetterman does trip over a word showing that he hasn't fully recovered from the stroke, and he is using, as we know, closed captioning uh, in his interview with Dasha Burns. Here's uh, Mr. Fetterman. I always thought I was pretty empathetic, uh, uh, emphatic. Uh, I think I was very, excuse me, empathetic. Uh, you know, that's an example of the stroke, empathetic. Yeah. I, I always thought I was very empathetic uh, before having a stroke. But now after having that stroke, I really understand, you know, much more kind of the challenges that Americans have day in and day out. How serious is that, Philip? I, by the way, I watched the entire interview from my observation, I watched it twice. That was the only word, empathetic, that he struggled over in that interview. How serious is it? Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great point. I've, I've had, I was speaking with someone else on, on, on some other uh, recording here uh, earlier this week, 
And <laughs> one of the things we all stumble over words, right? I mean, we've done it multiple times over the course of, of this discussion we've just been having this morning. It's just because it's happening in the context of this question about his mental, you know, the fitness, uh, such as it is, uh, that, that this really gets highlighted. Uh, you know, I mean, I've stumbled over words in the past two sentences, right? So I, I do think that it's important to remember that because we're framing it within this particular context, it gains a weight that it wouldn't necessarily have otherwise. Mm -hmm. And that, of course, is disadvantages veteran because everything's being scrutinized in the same way that when Joe Biden says something that, that doesn't make sense in context, it, it happens within this context of, of who he is and, you know, the, the questions have been raised about him. I think there's no question uh, that we have that the, that the focus on this issue is a function of proximity to the midterms. I, mm -hmm. I think, you know, we have seen any number of candidates who are, who are far less articulate than what we just heard in that clip from John Fetterman <laughs> over time, you know, be elected to office, you know, without anyone raising particular concerns about it. You know, is it the case that voters should have a good understanding of the physical and mental health of their elected officials? Absolutely. There's no question about there. Is, is it the case that there are real questions raised by that interview about whether Fetterman can do the job? No. And the last thing I, I would point out, he's not running for president. Right. This is he's running it for Senate. And, you know, Senate is one of 100 votes. He's not making big decisions about the fate of the country. He's not you know, this is not like it is not a Joe Biden situation where the question is what he's doing every day to guide where the where the country is going. He's 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 a senator. And I think that that necessarily lowers the stakes in a way that I think people under recognize. So, David, what what really um, the biggest issue maybe around this this interview was not what John Fetterman said. It's what reporter Dasha Burns said when she was introducing the interview on NBC News. She noted that John Fetterman had requested, um, in fact, insisted on using closed captioning. But, but then she added this comment about the time she spent with him before the closed captioning was running and the interview started. Here is reporter Dasha Burns. Lester, in small talk before the interview without captioning, it wasn't clear he was understanding our conversation. Uh, was that uh, fair game on her part? <laughs> well, she's, st she's standing by and NBC standing by, but there sure were a lot of uh, other lot of reporters have said, yeah, other reporters yeah. who interviewed him have said she's wrong. But, but, but I, I got it, you know, I, I think I'm a contrarian on this. I, I just thought it was very damaging to Fetterman and it wasn't so much. I just think the closed captioning uh, accommodation, I've, I've never seen that for any candidate for any office. And I know, I know it's, I've seen it with friends of mine and I understand what it's, what its uses are. And, uh, and that's fine. But the, the folks that I know weren't running for the United States Senate. I just think a lot of voters are going to look at that interview and have a lot of questions. And I think it puts a real premium on Fetterman's debate performance coming up later tonight, later this month. Well, we have two senators today uh, serving in the Senate, David, let me co come back to you a little bit, who have suffered strokes, uh, Chris Van Hollen and Ben, ben of, uh, Lujan from uh, New Mexico. And uh, we have a senator who's in a wheelchair. We've had other senators in wheelchairs. Uh, what's the big deal about closed captioning? Certainly, uh, the, the, certainly the Senate could accommodate that. It just looks disorienting and it makes it look like he doesn't understand the questions. You know, Greg Abbott is in a wheelchair in Texas. So, yeah, there are yeah, right. plenty of physically challenged politicians. But it's but those, those are all things, at least in Abbott's case, that was something that he that didn't, in fact, come up during his first campaign. So I'm not saying voters will just have to make up their own mind and, and Fed will have to explain it. But also 
have to add that Fetterman won't let reporters talk to his doctors about the effects of his stroke. Yeah. I think that's a problem, too. Mm-hmm. What's your take, Sudeep? Not to mention, uh, by the way, what FDR accomplished. <laughs> there, and obviously, there, there are lots of, of lawmakers who have hearing aids. Or This is, this is actually open in uh, a fascinating uh, debate about how disability disability rights uh, are covered in the in the media in this moment. And yep. I think that's that's important to have. Uh, how how Fetterman looks on uh, in a debate setting, I think, is going to be a, a deciding factor here. Uh, but I, I also think a lot of people who are trying to make decisions uh, in, in this race have, have already uh, have already decided to look past certain things, whether you're uh, supporting uh, Mehmet Oz and his his medical takes on things, or if you're you're going with John Fetterman, obviously the fact that if Fetterman had uh, had been in this kind of uh, environment for years and years and had actually shown how he was able to to, to process and accommodate, it would be different than something that suddenly happened uh, during a campaign during an election year, uh, and that and watching in real time how he's adjusting to it is is the challenge for him um, in, in this very moment because he is undergoing the healing process. Yeah. I'm just glad he's still wearing his hoodie, uh, <laughs> you know, and uh, uh, by the way, I think it's just, but he's uh, wearing long pants and a tie occasionally well, too. So well, it's a little, it's a little colder now, Dave. <laughs> but it wasn't, so, <laughs> I think, uh, I thought that uh, Lawrence O'Donnell might've had the last word on this when after he interviewed Fetterman, he said, I want to confess that I used a teleprompter uh, during this interview. <laughs> and he said, and so do, so do all the TV journalists who are talking about the Fetterman interview. So, I thought that was a thought that was a, a good point. Well, um, I wasn't sure we were going to get to this little bit of sound, but uh, since Philip mentioned that there are uh, other politicians who are far less articulate than John Fetterman, who have not suffered a stroke, uh, just for the hell of it, this is this week's um, uh, contribution from Herschel Walker to the uh, Bill Press uh, Pod Roundtable. He was—I um, don't know how the hell he got into this, but he was campaigning with Senator Tim Cotton and Senator Rick Scott in Georgia. And he ends up telling a little story to make a point about uh, the bull thinking the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. I'll let Herschel Walker tell you the story. I've been telling this little story about this bull out in the field with six cows and three of them are pregnant. So you know you got something going on. But all he cared about just kept his nose against the fence, looking at three other cows that then blown to him. Now all he had to do is eat grass, but no, 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 he thought something was better somewhere else. So he decided, I want to get over there. So one day he measured that fence up, and he said, I think I can jump this. So that day came where he got back, and he got back, and as he took off running, he dove over that fence, and his belly got cut up onto the bottom. But as he made it over on the other side, he shook it off, and got so excited about it. And he ran to the top of that hill, but when he got up there, he realized they were bulls too. All right. Anybody want to comment? <laughs> what the hell, right? I, I just have to, I have, have to say, I don't think Herschel Walker should be telling uh, jokes about sex, sexy, sexy bulls. I'd start there. But uh, <laughs> I will say that if, if there were an Alexandra Pelosi documentary about the Herschel Walker <laughs> campaign, I would be the first to watch it uh, because everything about this is just jaw-dropping. This entire campaign, you just think, what on earth is going on here? Day after day, there's another story that you just cannot believe, and it is all obviously 
believable and you can see how it all fits together but what a wild wild moment i was, t- was telling an old farmer's tale but he, he mangled it quite a bit i to uh, the point yeah. where i can't even remember what the original tale was <laughs> <laughs> uh and philip you must say that i i didn't see the video but i'm sure if you saw the video of tom cotton and rick scott standing alongside of him wondering what the hell are we doing here, right? Yeah, I mean, they, they, they have a lot more experience with politics and probably recognize as soon as he started talking about how it was a good thing that he had three, you know, Kyle's pregnant, that that, that may be a pretty territory for Herschel Walker to enter. All right. Well, I guess that's everybody's favorite story of the week, but we won't let you escape that easily. <laughs> Thank you so much for uh, a great panel today, Philip Bump, David Jackson, and Sudeep Reddy, uh, for your take on the news of the week. But what caught your, uh, among all of that or other things you were talking about, what caught your attention this week? We always call it our favorite story of the week. Uh, Philip, would you start us off? Uh, I'd be happy to. The, 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 I have been paying attention for some time to Dinesh D'Souza's 2,000 Mules. Uh, <laughs> let's just call it a mockumentary because it's, it's just, yeah. you know, there's, it's so totally baseless. Uh, but I've also been paying attention to True the Vote, which is the organization that purportedly did the analysis that undergirds his nonsensical movie. Uh, True the Vote is a Texas-based organization that, has, you know, makes these, these claims that there are all these people conducting this fraud. But they also sort of uh, branched out and made an allegation against a, a company that provides software that allows uh, places that are running elections to, to sort of manage their staff. And so they, they raised these new allegations. They, they were slapped with a lawsuit uh, by this company called Connect. Um, and there was, a, there was a hearing in court last week in which Ooh. a judge actually warned lawyers for True the Vote that he felt as though True the Vote may actually be misrepresenting themselves to their own attorneys the judge said hey you should be careful because you know you should i'm not sure you should necessarily trust what these guys are saying which i thought was just a remarkable rebuke and i can't remember ever seeing that but i think absolutely in keeping uh with this organization which i have very little confidence operates in good faith whatsoever and just Mm. you know sort of added a new color to this whole thing you know, Dinesh D'Souza is about to release a book based on 2,000 Mules that I think is going to end up being a massive embarrassment to him, and we'll just have to see. Yeah, but Don Trump, Donald Trump will pardon him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and already has. Sadiq, how about you? You know, it, it seems like just a blip in the, the media landscape this week of what happened, but Tulsi Gabbard formally oh, announcing yeah. <laughs> she's leaving the Democratic Party oh, uh, just sucked me in like a little black hole <laughs> trying to understand what is actually going on with Tulsi Gabbard. It's, it's always been a fascinating story to me watching her uh, on the Democratic stage in 2019 and 2020. This is obviously her, her move further into the, oh. the right-wing media universe. Um, and I think she's, she's actually uh, one to watch over the coming decade because the way she has positioned herself, all the questions surrounding her, um, she is probably going to be able to pull off uh, one of those, those rare moments of of uh, switching parties, so it wasn't really clear why she was a Democrat. Switching parties and becoming a a, a right wing media commentator is uh, is something we will remember. Oh yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that. Maybe I should have put that in the headlines for the week. But <laughs> I, 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 along with a lot of other people, said, "What Tulsi da- Tulsi Gabbard was a Democrat?" <laughs> exactly. <laughs> How about it, David? Your favorite story. Oh, she's, sorry. Already an- she's already angling for a Donald Trump's running mate slot. Oh, you way. know it. You yeah, know it. Yeah. yeah. I, I guess my favorite, there'll be a set of stories, and it's the media tour being conducted by our old friend Maggie Haberman. You know, she's oh, yeah. written the book uh, Confidence Man with the 
the story of Donald Trump. And if you're going to read one Donald Trump book, I think that would be the one I would recommend because it's very thorough. It's a, a biography of him and it, it really explains him better than anything else I've ever read. But I think but Maggie's story is fascinating. She's known him for so long and the way she's covered him and conducted herself, I think is, is very impressive and it's really made her a historical figure while yeah. watching these interviews with Colbert or reading the Politico uh, uh, profile of her. It, it, it dawned on me that Maggie herself will be part of the history mm-hmm. of the Trump administration. And it's, it's, it's quite impressive. No, the reason I got into this business bill is because I've always encountered people who are historic figures. And this goes back to 1982 when I popped a question to a football player named Herschel Walker. Oh, <laughs> it's been very interesting to, you know, I always, I just, I just enjoy, you know, encountering famous people and asking them questions. And now I've come to realize that one of those people, an historic figure in her own right is Maggie Haberman. Mm-hmm. By the way, Herschel Walker, who played football for Donald Trump's uh, New Jersey. Exactly. Uh, uh, what were they called? Commanders? The New or? Jersey Generals. Generals. That was it. Generals. Right? That's probably yeah. where he had the, the head injuries that he might have. So there you go. <laughs> so uh, my favorite story, I, I have to tell you, over the years, I have voted for more losing candidates than winning candidates. Um, uh, and uh, that's the price of being a Democrat, I guess. But uh, – this week, I was very proud to have voted for a winner, uh, and that is I voted for the winner in the Fat Bear Contest up at Katmai National Park in Alaska, which I visited in August, Carol and I did with our family. Uh, and at this time of year, they have a contest, and people can vote in the park or all around the world online for the fattest bear at Katmai, or they don't call it the fattest bear. They call it the bear that best exemplifies fatness in brown bears <laughs> so and there were 12 finalists uh but i voted for the winner his name is 747 and he's about as big as 747 in the bear world he weighs 1400 pounds uh and he will uh, go into hibernation soon with the glory of being the winner of fat bear week at katmai uh national park so, can, can i just can i just say something yes. like that? There is nothing, and I say this in all sincerity, there's nothing I love more about this country than earnest public officials that engage in these sorts of fun things. Like, yeah. I know, like legitimately, like, you know, yes. the National Archives puts out fantastic fun stuff. The Consumer Product Safety Commission does all these wonderful videos showing how dangerous things can be. Like they have these series of fireworks videos where they show mannequins getting blown up. I love very sincerely when these people who have these public jobs working for the government do things that are fun and show how much they love their their. The, the work that they do. And I really think that's worth celebrating. Good, good, good point. Good point. And I must say, if you if you want to see bears in Alaska, the place to go is not easy to get there is Katmai National Park. At one point there, the Brooks River, it's the, this year was the biggest salmon run in history. Uh, and the bears stand on top of the waterfall and try to catch these salmon as they're jumping up the waterfall to swim up, swim upstream. We saw at least 25 bears at one time. And who knows, we may have seen 747, but <laughs> I voted for him. That's it for today's uh, Roundtable Today's podcast. Thank you so much, Philip Bump, national col- columnist for The Washington Post. Thanks, David Jackson, national political correspondent for USA Today, and Sudeep Reddy, senior managing editor for Politico. David, you mentioned Maggie Haberman. She is our next guest. Ah. On the Bill Press Pod, uh, next Tuesday, we'll be talking with her. Her book debuts number one on the New York Times bestseller list this week, The Confidence Man. And you're right, David. It is such a 
brilliant just a profile and complete profile of Donald Trump from the early days of his business world, right, up to and including the presidency. And boy, he didn't change at all. <laughs> yeah, no. The book, book is culture-worthy, I think. It makes me see what happens when the board seems to roll did around. not change. Anyway, I will be talking with Maggie Haberman about the confidence man on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. Have a great weekend. Thanks, everybody. And we'll see you next Tuesday with Maggie Haberman. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.